Okay, so here we are, class number five, and uh, we're, this class is called Sex in the City of God, and I uh, hope you guys have been learning some good stuff and been, uh, you know, uh, overwhelmed by lots of good information that you're applying in your life or being challenged by. Today will be a topic uh, that uh, you'll be excited for us to discuss because it's a topic and a question that is asked by pretty much everybody. And uh, so, but before I get into that, I have to talk about uh, what we talked about last week so we can keep, keep uh, you know, the flow of the review, right? So we were talking about what God's original tent, intent, tent, what God's original intent was for uh, sex, right? His original intent for it. And then uh, what happens when male and female, God's people, depart from that original intent? What happens? What kind of uh, uh, things uh, uh, happen as a result? But today we're going to talk about how we express our sexuality genitally. Um, it's really going to be talking all about sex, you know, to not, not the idea of sexuality, as I was saying, us being individuals and persons and seeking for that unified community, but the reality of genital sex. And so I'll be using different words like sexual intercourse, genital sexuality, sexuality synonymous. So when I, when I say the word sex, you know what I'm talking about, okay? No, no confusions. In, in, in where I'm going. Uh, but uh, uh, I looked over y'all's questions and uh, they were there were some some great questions and so I appreciate your your asking them uh, and uh, if anybody hasn't yet uh, written down a question please do so because I want to be able to help you to uh, deal with some of the difficult questions that are in your mind that you're like I, I never knew where I could find the form to ask this one. Well this is it. So so ask the questions away, but we're going to get into that um, uh, in, in a future um, time and really look into those, those questions on a deeper level. But there's some great questions, some tough questions, uh, but I think we'll have some good discussion on it. This particular one is related to the whole question of sex before marriage. What's the big deal? What's all this about? Why, why the whole hubbub? What's it, what, 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 what does it matter? So why does this prohibition exist at all? You know, have you ever thought about that? Why does it exist other than the fact that, you know, you know that mom and dad said, the pastor said, you know, the Bible says, you've heard people say, yeah, the Bible says, and maybe you're not really familiar with exactly how that all comes together, but you want to know where it comes from and understand more clearly. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, but we have to be aware of some things. We have to be aware of change, the big word change. So when you think about uh, the word change and you think about our culture, I think that you would definitely equate the two quite, quite uh, easily. You know, technologically there's change happening all the time. Um, in every area of our lives from the time that I was uh, younger, which you know, I'm not a whole lot older than y'all, but I am older. <laughs> Uh, but I guess, okay, I guess I am a little, whole lot older than y'all. But anyways, the point is, from back in the time when I was younger to now, what you guys deal with and some of the stuff that I dealt with is not the same thing. I mean, the change has been extreme. Though um, <clears throat> similar, it, the amount and the level of pressure that you guys experience today is so much more than what I understand and than I've ever understood. So sexuality is progressing rapidly in this culture. It is progressing rapidly. And change is not always good. The book, the, a book uh, by Lewis Smeads called Sex for Christians, it says that today's Christian is growing up in a super sex charged culture. 
And you know what's funny about that is that this book was written in the late 70s and the early 80s. <laughs> and that was before most of you were born. So if you look at this and you're going, super sex charge culture, late 70s, early 80s, what in the world is it now? You know, because it didn't get any less. Um, now it's a super, 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 super sex charge culture. <laughs> and so you guys are really challenged um, um, all the time on a regular basis. Um, uh, the single most powerful stimulus related to the sexual revolution is the film. And, and it continues to be the single most powerful stimulus even for you guys. The film is multidimensional, and that's why it is so effective in what it does. It's visual. It's aural. The whole nine yards of the senses are there except for feel. You don't get to touch it, you know. But, but you can feel emotionally what's going on in the film. And so we realize this graphic portrayals are, are trying to say something to us. And what they are actually doing is their purpose is to strip sex of its moral mystique. There's a mystery in sexuality. And it's centered in morality, but the movies that you see and the shows that you see, they don't do that. They strip it away from its moral mystique completely. They make jokes out of it. They make it casual, no big deal. And uh, that's what we get to see. And you know what's succeeding? These, these, these movies are succeeding. These shows are succeeding. The stuff that we're reading in media, it's succeeding because, culture, because we're falling in line with it. And this is something we want to try to figure out how to change. You know, it started with like soap operas. And that's like old, old, old stuff. You know, like, you know, mo moms, you know, or like, you know, some of them have their favorite soap operas, you know, and they watch them and stuff like that. And, and th those things are just junk, okay? But, uh, you know, for, forgive me if, you don't, if, if you're into soap operas, but they are junk, okay? Um, and then it goes on to now we, you know, now you understand, soap operas are in the middle of the day, you know, moms at home, you know, watching their kids, trying to take a break, so it's like, oh, we'll throw that in front of the moms, you know, while they're at home. Uh, but now we have prime time junk now that everybody's watching, that everybody's seeing. Um, Temptation Island, if, you've ever, if you guys have ever heard about that particular show, the whole premise of the show is about taking a, a, a relationship and, and, tempt, and, and tempting a man who is about to get married basically to see if you can cause him to fall or stumble. And that's pretty, pretty sick if you ask me. But, but that, thing, that thing had ratings and that thing was popular. Uh, Sex in the City, Sex in the City of God is what I wrote. <laughs> but what I meant was, what I meant was Sex in the City, <laughs> the the movie, the, you know, the show Sex in the City, and now the movie, right? Sex in the City, that's right out. That that is pushing away the moral mystique of it all, you know. Uh, Desperate Housewives, you know, pushing away the moral mystique, uh, influencing us in ways we shouldn't be. The Real Housewives of Orange County, you know looking into the real life of these ladies that are the desperate housewives and how they celebrate their immorality and how they celebrate the dysfunction in their relationships, and people watch it. Uh, the Bachelor, if you, uh, uh, you know, think of that concept there, it's about a guy who gets to try on all these girls. You know, that's pretty, that's pretty sick when you think about it. I mean, if you're one of those girls, the only reason that I would think that you'd be doing that is because you were selfish and you really wanted a bunch of money, and that's the only reason why you would, because who would want to have to go through all that hell that those girls have to go through to, to be in the end the guy? What was it? One of them, the guy at the very end said, I didn't want anybody. You know, what a, what, what a sad situation for the lady who thought, oh, I was going to hold on and maybe I was going to find that man that I was looking for. You know, this kind of stuff is what we're getting to see on a regular basis. Date My Ex is a new one that's come up. 
It's uh, oh, yeah. so about a about a lady who's just uh, you know, one of the housewives actually who just divorced, and so she's helping her husband to find a lady. Date my is that crazy or what? Uh, you know, you you name you name it, they're coming out. And why are they coming out? Because sex sells. Because somewhere the mystique is getting ripped away, and people are enjoying the entertainment, and it's affecting them. Uh, we go on further, and we get uh, uh, these new things that I call the provocative young adult shows. And they're basically young adult soap operas. Just go to the WB, and you see them all the daggum time. One of them in particular is One Tree Hill. I don't know if any of y'all have seen it, but if you watch it, that's what, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all about this stupid, you know, junk going on, you know, relationships with people. And he's cheating on her, she's cheating on him, all this other junk. And, you know, we're talking high school here that we're portraying in these particular things. And sex is in the, is in the show. And we're talking about high school kids. So this is the kind of stuff that's happening. Right now, we're in a time that is profoundly less, <laughs> excuse me, Less moral, less mysterious, and now technique is the word of the day. It doesn't matter about, about the emotions or any of that. It's about technique. It's about how well can you do it. It's the folk, that's the focus of things. Who's better at it than someone else? Um, how well can I function? You know, if you looked, listen, to, listen to the jokes going on in the different movies that you see, they're about jokes, about that kind of stuff. You know, um, in particular, you know, you might see, you know, a chick flick, you know, where there's a lady talking about the guy and she was like, yeah, you know, I, I don't want to be with him, but boy, she sure did give great sex. You know, and the whole point of it is just this idea of separating the reality of the depth of what sexuality is supposed to be about into just a function itself, a biological function, and that's it. Um, so, going back to the to the sexual sexual revelation and uh, revelation revolution and its feel, they had this idea that we're like animals because Darwin was the word of the day, and I was like, we're like animals, so we should do it as animals do it, you know. And again, they removed the concept of emotions to just making it a biological thing. But today we have a new feel with new terms. It's still similar. It's still pretty much the same thing, but it's I think it's even more dangerous because now we have this new term called casual sex as if sex could actually be a casual thing we have these new terms that are called hooking up um, uh, which you know wow what what a, a wonderfully uh, emotionally connecting that's that word sounds you know hey let's just hook up you know and and what it says is Oh, I'm just going to go somewhere. I'm going to find somebody, and we're just going to have casual sex. It doesn't matter. We're not going to see each other tomorrow, but it's just going to be a great experience, you know, we hope. And that's the, that's the intention of, of hooking up. Uh, there's this, that it, it brings about this idea that in the rules that there's no expectation on this. We're just going to have our time, and there's no expectation in this. Don't worry about tomorrow. You don't need to call me. All I want is just a good romp in the sheets. And that's really all that it, all that it, all that it gets at. Um, Language, the lang this language reflects what our culture thinks and where it's going and where it's moving. It's important to study language as we go as as we go about different things because you'll see where things are going. So this is the kind of stuff that we have today: casual sex, hooking up. And you know, I, a great book that I've already suggested is A Return to Modesty. Just I really encourage you guys to look at that book and kind of see what uh, Wendy Shalott has to say. You know, it, it's a great it's a great book and unbiased because it's not written by a Christian. It's written by a strong, uh, devout Jewish woman, and uh, um, actually I wouldn't even say devout, a liberal Jewish woman who basically is just responding to 
uh, some things that she's discovered are, are dysfunctions in today. And she's saying really a return to modesty is where we need to go in our culture. She did a lot of studies on this, and uh, we'll be talking uh, off and on about that book today. The, the, the sex apart from marriage is a common question. And it all ties into this kind of stuff here because if because this is not about marriage, this stuff that I'm talking about up here. This is just about just about being being sexual in any way and any time. And so the sex apart from marriage is a common question, especially today, uh, because I, two for two reasons. One, because people some people really want to understand it. Well, what do, what is why is it so important at all? What's so important about this thing? And then the other reason and. Uh, if you've been there, then you might be then you might be able to relate to this. It's because that you're concerned about this liberation that sex has brought, this quote liberation that sex has brought, and you're profoundly concerned because it isn't working. You're profoundly worried about the state of relationships right now because you realize that stuff is not working. The propaganda that's being said it doesn't work. Um, so. Let's talk about some approaches to consider sex outside of marriage. And uh, the, the first thing I want us to think about is the morality of caution, this, this concept of the morality of caution. There's something inside of us that causes us to step back for a minute and go, okay, what exactly am I getting myself into? And so the morality of caution, there are three different types of morality of caution. One of them is the morality of caution concerning me. And that that's, that's a question that, Perhaps a little bit further back in your grandparents' time, you might have heard that their thinking was more like, is this legal? <laughs> is, is, is sex outside of marriage, is it legal? You know, am I doing something, am I doing something bad? There was this, this real concern, is it normal, is it right? Uh, because it wasn't a common thing that was happening amongst the young people. It wasn't something that they, that they just thought initially to do. There was something really weird about it in their minds. Is it legal? Is it normal? Uh, basically, when I say normal, is it, is, it, is it a deviant? Is it a perverted thing to do? Is the kind of thing that they thought in their mind. Is it a sinful thing? Uh, this idea of per perceived or assumed morality. And uh, we still ask this question of somewhat legal when we start to see... Um, uh, adults that are teaching in our classes uh, in, in high schools that are having sex with their students and they're having uh, uh, repercussions to that, aren't they? It is not legal. It is deviant. It is, it is not natural and there are consequences to these things. Still today, our laws deal with that and other types of things that we obviously understand. But today for us, we're not really asking those questions. We're kind of asking more of the question, is it safe? Is it safe? And that there's a, that's a loaded question. Uh, we're not concerned with jail, not concerned, about, but we're concerned with STDs or maybe the overall health of our lives in all, in, uh, overall. And sometimes when we say is it safe, we really don't even know what we're asking, but we just know that's on our minds. Uh, will I get hurt? Will it affect my overall health? You know, a uh, few people in the 60s would have thought about sex killing. It wasn't uh, their mindset. It wasn't their thoughts. But, of course, after, the, after we have the, the uh, pandemic that has occurred now, we've gotten to the 80s, we began to find out about something called AIDS. Now we started to realize that sex could kill. Um, then there begins to be a little bit of a fear and a concern about our actions in that way, more so than before. But, unfortunately, today... 
more prevention and further abortion has led to sad alternatives to the cost of our actions. When we say, is it safe? Well, if I, if I do this thing and there's a consequence is that I'm going to have a child and now there's this option where we can decide to terminate the pregnancy. And so then there's not a cost anymore. And so we think, oh, that, that makes it safe still because I've got these new options available. Newer options coming out all the time. The morning after pill is, 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 a, is a new option that's already out there um, in the market. Uh, the epidemic of HIV has made the most far-out libertarian ask the question of caution. Before, be free. Now, let's be, let's be cautious about what could happen and... But the only problem is the kind of things that come in response are use a condom, you know, uh, uh, safe sex, be protected by these particular types of innovations that we've created. But it's not about the heart. It's about external things. There is a, a comic that uh, I'll just describe to you. It's an old man. He's sitting in a lounge chair and he's relaxed back and he's reading a book. And this young man, his grandson comes up and he says, uh, gee, Granddad, you didn't have all these social diseases whenever you were younger. What did you wear to have safe sex? To which the grandfather holds his holds up his left hand and points points to his ring finger and he says, uh, "A wedding ring." Pretty profound, but really, what we need to get back to and and find why is this really truly the safe safest way to have sex. Uh, from middle school, sometimes grade school even, we're taught what a condom can do for us. I mean, that's the, some of the first things that we hear when it comes to sex education. Uh, we're, we're taught how to put one on, you know. This is, and, they, and, and there's just this experience of awkwardness of people, young kids or middle school kids going, what the heck is this all about? And the problem being that there is, is the idea of, sex education even working for us. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But let's go to the next morality of caution. The next morality of caution is others. The morality of caution concerning others. So first it's about me, looking at me. What am I, what am I supposed to be concerned about? The second is, what about other people? How will this affect somebody else? So by my action, will I hurt someone else? That's number two. By my action, will I hurt someone else? Who are we referring? That's the question. Who are we referring when we say, well, I hurt someone else? How expansive is this circle who is affected? Sometimes we don't look at how expansive this circle could be. Many, or uh, the truth is, um, men are mainly the initiators in this thing, and they're the ones that tend to be thinking about it the most. But oftentimes, uh, they're not really thinking about things like the parents of the girl. And perhaps we need to be thinking about the parents who spent you know, many years of their life raising up this young lady. And this, this young man in one moment can tear away some things that those, that those parents were hoping to build in that girl for all of, all of her life up to that point. It's amazing where we've come. It's sometimes the encouragements of, our par of parents now. This was even an actual Time ma Magazine article in, uh, in the uh, around uh, 2000 uh, that parents now are, are sometimes being the encouraging ones to allowing their children to lose their virginity. They're saying, hey, I just want to make sure that you have the right environment, that you're not doing it in some you know, hole in the wall somewhere, so I'm going to reserve the room for you, and I'm going to set up the hotel so that you can have that experience in a 
safe environment. Unfortunately, that's where things have gone. So the questions we're asking is, what might this act do to my community? That's what we should be asking. What might this act do to my community? Because it's bigger than just me and that person. It's bigger than just me. It's about the community that we're in and how it's going to affect them. We look more to ourselves, because we're selfish, and not the greater effect and harm that it's going to cause. So we should stretch ourselves to see what, what's, what's really truly being affected. So how sensible is this in regard to the harm that I might possibly cause is a question that we should ask. How sensible is this thing that I'm about to do in regard to the harm that I might possibly cause? Which says, how sensible will I be in the heat of passion? <laughs> the heat of passion. Somebody gets you really angry. You're in this heat of passion moment. You're Moses. <laughs> and you just got angered by this thing that's happening. And you respond and you kill somebody. That wasn't really a good sensible head that was on their shoulders. Hot-tempered people can understand that. I'm not going to be sensible in the heat of passion. And truly, males should realize, and females should realize, there is no sense when it comes to the heat of passion. Your head goes out the window. So that's an important question to ask. It pushes us away from a self-possessed egotism about me, and it begins to think about truly how are my actions going to affect somebody else. The third type of morality of caution is personal relationship. The morality of caution in personal relationship or the idea of us, you and I, if we're going to engage in this, if you are in a relationship and you're considering, should I have sex, and you're thinking these things, how will, this, how will this act help us as a couple? That's the question. How will this act help us as a couple? Will this deepen, strengthen, weaken, and, or confuse? I'll say that again. Will this deepen the relationship? Will it strengthen the relationship? Will it weaken the relationship or even confuse it? Questions we should be asking. Will it clarify love or make love more difficult to discern? Appropriate sex always requires a personal relationship with another person. So we have to be thinking about us. And in these three questions of morality that I just mentioned, if we're going to break them down, first the question is about ourselves, me. How's it going to affect me? And then it's about others. How's it going to affect others? Not just you know, immediate others, but the broader community that I'm a part of. And then, how is it going to affect us? Think these three things through. How often do we think that deeply when we consider the option of should I have sex? How often do we actually think that deeply? But we need to. We need to think that deeply. Uh, we're all aware that sex can be done without a personal relationship because there's something called prostitutes. Right? Just, you know, giving themselves away for no other purpose than to gain uh, their own reward of cash. You know? They live a sad life. Scripture talks about prostitutes and, and the spiritual condition of them, how their soul is spread about the four winds because they're giving themselves away time and time and time again. It's, 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 it's deeper than just this biological thing. Now, in truth, some women have become prostitutes but just don't use that name. And that's uh, 
That's a hard truth. But it's, it's, that's what it is if you're giving yourself away and there's no cost. Wendy Shalott talks about that in A Return to Modesty. Just a, a hard truth. Many men and women in particular, uh, and you know, you'll notice that the, the way that I'm talking in this, you'll see a lot of it on, is on the angle of women because in truth, men tend to be the perpetrators and men tend to be the, the initiators and the women are the ones responding and I'm trying to help the women understand the reality of what's going on here, okay? Um, and so uh, many men and women in particular are having sex without the concern for relationship but they are losing out on the thing they really hope and dream for. So there's always an intention of something that this is going to lead to. But in this action, in the way that they're doing it, premaritally, it's they're losing out on what they really hope and dream for. Couples are pondering the decision, should I have sex? They should listen to this quote concerning healthy relationship. This is a long quote, so uh, bear with me on it. I think you do have it in your notes, so that will help you follow along with me. Uh, it's by Lester Kirkendall, who's a professional fam professor of family development. And he said, uh, in explaining this point of view, I've written as follows. Whenever a choice is to be made concerning behavior, the moral decision will be the one which works towards the creation of trust, confidence, and integrity in the relationship. So the question is, in this decision to have sex, is there going to be a trust created? Uh, am I confident? And is there going to be integrity kept in the midst of it? It should increase the capacity of the individuals to cooperate and enhance self-respect in the individuals. In, uh, in other words, it'll help them to grow. Uh, and, it, and acts which dis, distrust, uh, create distrust, suspicion, and misunderstanding, or those which create barriers and destroy integrity are immoral. In other words, any decision that we make that leads to a suspicion in the relationship, a misunderstanding in the relationship, or creates a barrier or a wall, uh, that is, or destroys integrity, that is going to be considered immoral. That is something God does not intend at all or want us to be. It's a sinful thing. They decrease these individuals' self, sense of self-respect, and rather than producing a capacity to work together, they separate people, and this is in bold, break down the capacity for communication. The bottom line is when we take a step in certain things and we think that we're ready for it and we step into it, but the reality is what it's going to do is create a barrier and create distrust. It breaks down the, what makes relationships healthy. That's communication. And communication keeps a relationship alive. Sex in the wrong way breaks down the capacity for communication every time. And, uh, and uh, so, yeah. There's a lot of good thinking in that quote, and uh, I hope you're not confused by it, but read it a couple times and let it, <laughs> let it sink in. Because it's not just about sex, it's about relationships, period, and things that we do in those relationships. But totally uh, is applied to um, sexual relations. It's been suggested that before having sex that we have to ask five questions. Five questions. Good, good questions to consider and to think about. One, is our relationship truly personal? and mutual in its commitment. Do we really have a connection to one another? Number two, do we hold each other in mutual deep regard? Is there a deep enough relationship between the two of us that there is great respect that we have for one another? We know each other well. Um, 
Number three, are we acting towards the other in true integrity? Which integrity is saying, is, is this act going to enhance a person's safety? Is it going to enhance their identity, who they are, and any other thing that you could think about? Is it going to enhance that or is it going to decrease that? Is it going to confuse that? Number four, are we above any and all inclinations to use each other for our own gratification? In other words, is this a selfish desire of mine and I'm just trying to get my, my kicks? And then number five, will having sex deepen and enrich our relationship or will it distort it? So deepen and enrich is your, is your blank there. If we're honest, can anyone say yes to number four and five? Can anyone truly say yes to numbers four and five? And, and here's why I say that. Because is someone really able to know themselves so clearly that in the heat of of sexual desire and erotic drive uh, that he can honestly say I will not use you as a means to an end. Can, can anyone truly say that? <clears throat> Before sex many may say they are ready and they won't feel bad about themselves. Have you ever been in one of those conversations you know and it's like, okay, I think we should do it. You know why? Oh, I think I'm ready. I really believe that this is the right thing. And, you know, I, I really feel good. And I think it's, it's going to be, you know, special and all. But the, the truth is, afterwards, that is never the case. The before, the coaxing, the disillusionment comes about after the fact. Afterwards, it's not the case. Those things that you thought you felt before entering in. This is complicated even more because people feel guilty even when they say they won't have sex because they think culturally that they should. So there's this guilt both ways, isn't there? There's the guilt from the morality of caution that God has placed in us, and then there's a guilt about our culture saying, ah, you know, don't, don't don't be you know one of those stick in the mud you know you know this is progressive culture you know this is everybody's doing this that peer pressure but remember this the outcome is often different than what was perceived before the outcome is often different than what was perceived before and the outcome in marriage is not certain if we have had sexual experience before marriage it really skews how our sexual relationships are going to be in marriage if we've had many sexual relationships or prolonged sexual relationships before it. But amongst all of this, there are weaknesses in these things I just mentioned to you. Five rules, they sound great, don't they? Like, yeah, that's some good things to think about. The three moralities of caution, yeah, that sounds good. That's some good things to think about. But there's weaknesses that have to be addressed in these. 
these approaches to the five questions are great thoughts, but they have weaknesses. And they require the, re, the weaknesses are is that they require extremely different kinds of peculiar people, peculiar people that perhaps don't exist. <laughs> you know, we don't live in a vacuum. These rules are there in the place of a culture, in the place of great pressures, in the in the place of great deviations in our thinking. Many influences that we have skew our thinking. So if we're going to answer these questions rightly, it would require this. This is what would enable us to answer all the questions I'm talking about right. This is what it requires. Number one, a person with no illusions and absolute clarity about themselves, their significant other, and their unconscious responses. This then also requires, number two, a person who can weigh all the factors in the moment before entering into sex. <clears throat> so you're right there in that experience and, you know, you're, you're stirred up, you're excited, and the next thing you know, you're like, oh, on, i got to think through the five questions. Um, uh, okay, weighing the factors, weighing the factors here. Okay, you know, that's just the truth, right? <laughs> right? So... Can you really weigh the factors before that moment, in the midst of that moment, before entering into sex? You cannot weigh the factors. It's interesting because uh, there's an ad about people who abuse alcohol um, that, you know, we're told in this that thinking people don't drink and drive. Thinking people don't drink and drive. But the problem with that is we're talking to people who abuse alcohol. By the time you have drunk the alcohol and you've been inebriated, you can't think. There's no thinking happening. That's why you drink and drive. So I can say thinking people drink and drive, but in reality, the best way that I can take it to keep you healthy is to say thinking people don't drink in excess. <laughs> because that would really be the way to make sense of it. Because once you're in that moment, you don't have the mindset to think. You can't be in the throes of something and think it out thoughtfully and confidently. You, you know, to be said in a, in a more um, academic way, you won't be able to work out your ethics in the backseat of a car. Alone in your apartment or dorm, you're not going to be able to work out your ethics. In a romantic setting that steals your sanity because someone knows how to push the right buttons, you're not going to be able to think it out correctly and work out your ethics. And in a moment of intense fondling and making out, there is no thinking through your ethics in that moment because other things have begun to take over. Would you agree with me? Good. I just don't want to sound like I'm giving you this thing and you're saying, yeah, whatever, man. But I want to know that we're connecting and that you're saying, yes, I do agree. This is true. Um, <clears throat> so... It's so wonderful because the Song of Solomon says this, says this so beautifully and many times within it. And you talk about a racy book that'll just, whoa, you know, take a cold shower afterwards because that's what you need to do. Um, uh, Song of Solomon, uh, don't arouse love before the proper time. Don't arouse passion before the proper time. Different, different translations say it, but it's the same thing. It, there is a time that God has set and before the proper time, you're in trouble. Because <laughs> you're, you're going to lose your head and you're going to be lost. And it's going to be over and you're going to wonder afterwards what just happened. 
So the truth is we cannot handle it. We cannot think through those ethics in those moments. We have to set boundaries and limits. This is wisdom. We have to set boundaries and limits on it so that it's not wakened before it should be wakened. <laughs> if you don't work out your ethics ahead of time, you're going to get yourself in places where all those things you don't want happen. There may be few people where as the heat increases that they're able to say, let's cut this off. Let's cut this off before we go all the way, which is a whole other conversation in and of itself. What is all the way anyway? <laughs> but the truth is there are many men and women who thought that they could handle it and failed. And, and they were handling it for a time. They even were handling it for a time. But they still failed. And I've counseled many people who this is their story. Coming to me and saying, oh man, da 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 And I cut that off and all this stuff. And I said, yeah, but here's the thing. You, you, you're not going to be able to handle this for long. It's going to get more intense. You're going to want to be closer. You're going to want to take other steps to do different things. But you've got to create boundaries so that you don't put yourself in those positions because you're going to fail in the heat of the moment. And, you know, they didn't heed, heed, heed what I said. And in the, in, the, in the end result, they failed in that. And it is a guarantee we will. So let's just realize we're not as strong as we think we are. Set those boundaries and limits. Those are so important. This is a cliche. I agree it is. And you can probably finish the sentence. What would you put in there, guys? If you play with the fire, you will eventually get burned. If you play with the fire, you will, fire, you will get, get, blah, eventually get burned in the area of sexuality, of sex. You play with it, you're going to lose. There's only one person that can do this right, and it's Jesus. And when I checked, none of us are he. <laughs> none of us are Jesus. Now, Jesus had no distractions by sex. That was not his focus. That was not what he was looking towards and leaning toward. He had a mission and he had a focus and he knew where he was going. We're not there. <laughs> That's not where we are. We need to be realistic about our humanity in the fall because that's the point. We aren't the innocent people that we might think ourselves to be. The fall, the fall of man, we talked about in Genesis, has already to told us that our mindset does not think the way it used to think, be the way it used to be. Uh, number three is unselfish and non-manipulative person. So another thing that you've got to be is an unselfish and non-manipulative person in order to get these five questions quite right and fall within that morality of caution in a way on, uh, and hit it every time. Now, now, this is this thing where your, your dominant view is to serve your partner. If you're unselfish and non-manipulative, manipulative, then, you're, uh, then you're, you're, your concept of, of your relationship is that your dominant view is to serve your partner. Now, this is a beautiful thing because this is where we need to be. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to bless you in all things. I'm here to think about you. I'm here to unselfishly choose for your highest good. Now, if you're there 
you're ready to get married, so we don't need to talk about now it's time for me to have sex. You just need to just say, you know what, now I'm ready to step into that right relationship with this person and take the step of a commitment, a committed relationship, and then the health in that relationship sexually is going to be good things. Because that protection is there. And I'll talk about that protection a little bit more um, here as we go. So number four is this. Good sex requires a certain atmosphere. And when I say good sex, I'm referring to fulfilling and meaningful and rewarding experiences. To describe what a setting of real and healthy good sex is, it's a slow pace. It involves self-discipline. Self-discipline in the act. Deep sense of trust has to be there. Because the woman knows that psychologically she is giving a part of herself away. There has to be a deep sense of trust in that for it to be good. It is also a requirement for it to be good to have low anxiety. And low anxiety in the understanding that this is what it takes for a woman to reach orgasm. I know I'm getting into detail, guys. I hope you're not going to get too freaked out by it. But the point is, this is true. All right? But real-life premarital sex is tense. It's painful. It's not slow-paced. And it's often unfulfilling compared to the idealized experience planted in our brains by media. So you can't have good sex if it's before marriage in this experience. And I can tell you that you could have ladies that have sat there with the psychiatrist after that experience and said to the de devastated, speaking to that person, uh, that, that's saying, this is not what I, uh, it, it wasn't what I thought it was. I'm, I'm very depressed. I'm, I'm let down. I expected all this stuff, you know, and you watch the movies and they show you this is the way it's supposed to be and this is the way it's supposed to look, but the truth is that's not the way it is and that's not the way it really looks. If you want to get down to the truth of the matter, especially for the woman, and I say it again, it is often, it is, it is painful for the woman the first time. It is. And so don't think, oh, this is going to be a wonderful thing. No. Uh, good sex does not make a relationship, nor does it make a marriage. So I'm not here to talk about good sex ultimately, because I want you to understand that's not the point. <laughs> but it is something to consider. And in marriage, it doesn't have to be good at first. See, marriage is about a growing relationship. It's about being able to continually be together and practice and spend time together and enjoy this special union as often as you want to. And you've got lots of practice, I promise. <laughs> lots of opportunities for practice in marriage. And it only gets better because you're learning each other. You're growing together and it's safe. It's the real safe. Or it should be. Um, so the three points that we discussed related to morality of caution focuses on the outside. It focuses on the act of intercourse itself. And that is not the full picture. It's not the setting of the mood in the moment, but the place of the relationship. So it's deeper than the outside. Uh, number five, education has created problems. I jumped into it for a second. And now we're going to get into it in depth. 
What am I talking about again? Why do these five things really not work? Well, we're not in a vacuum and all these things affect us, right? Education, your education, growing up, sex education that all of you went through, it created problems for you. Children in co-ed sex class, I ask, is it helping? The question is, is this stuff actually helping? What do you think? You think it's helping? Going to get into some details here. All right. This is the deal. You got boys giggling. You know, maybe you can take yourself back there and you remember the girls and the boys are separate on either sides and the boys are giggling and, and the teacher's going, that's not funny, stop giggling, it's seri- this is serious, right? And the reality, the, the reality is that these boys are not giggling because it's funny. They're giggling because they're modest. They're giggling because it's uncomfortable. It's weird. Why are you telling me this stuff? I'm not ready for it. I'm modest. I don't want to know this kind of thing. It makes me feel uncomfortable. But what we're doing is we're giving education to people that don't need that education at that time and opening them up to things they never needed to be opened up to. The teaching is actually destroying modesty and it's creating increased sexuality. We know this because the facts are in. Sex education has made students more sexually active. Yes, you're told a little bit about consequences and disease in your sex education class. You're told about how this, you have to ask the question, will this help my relationship? But the main focus that you really see in that class is technique and how you're supposed to do things and how you're supposed to be protected. That's what you really learn. So that's not helping. So that's sex education, but what about the parents and the adults and their responsibility? This is number six. Many parents have created problems for their children. This is a, an interesting statistic, and, I, I, and I'm glad of it, but the one that follows doesn't make me very excited. 74% of all adults have serious concerns about teenagers having sex before they are married. So there's something in the mom and dad that says, I don't want my kid having sex when they're teenagers. You know, there's a good, good bit of strength in that, but here's the problem. of those people believe that it was all right for them to do it. It was all right for them to do it. And so it becomes a practice what you preach problem. I don't want my kids doing it, but it's all right for for me to do it, not for my teenagers. That, That really confuses kids, doesn't it? And if it were high school kids that were the cause of the social ills and the STD and the abortions that are happening, then this might make sense, what these parents are trying to say. But the truth is, it isn't. It's, this isn't where all the, all the troubles lie in the high school kids. Actually, the age group is post-teenage adults and the largest age is college-age educated women. This is where the largest uh, problems are lying in college-age educated women. The STDs, the abortions, the social ills that are coming from the effects of the premarital sexual um, uh, experiences that they're having. So the primary problem isn't with junior and senior high school kids. It's with this age group. It's the people just, just a little bit older than you. 
Number seven is that our climate suggests that sex should be easily entered into. And so in our mind, we don't think about the morality of caution because everybody says that it's supposed to be something easy to do. Just do it, right? Everybody else is. So what we're taught is it's just a natural biological function. Um, hooking up is actually a liberating experience and it shows you that you're not hung up on your body. This is women. This is what women are taught. Liberation. You know, don't be afraid to expose yourself and your body. Take that step. Show that you're uh, strong in your confidence of who you are as a woman. Uh, see, if female acts, if a female acts like a roaming men, then they're going to be freed. And what, I, what that what that gets at is, and uh, you can read uh, Winnie Shalott's book, A Return to Modesty. What it's really getting at is it's saying that what's happening is the roles of women and men are getting reversed. And what it used to be is the man would have to win the beauty, and it was the girl that would play hard to get, and 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 the guy would try to do what he could, you know, to get to 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 have the girl to to say yes, you won me, you know, that kind of thing. And, and there was a cost, and the guy had to really put put forth uh, some serious effort and show respect for the girl. But it's ended up turning itself on its head, where now the girl thinks I I'm empowered because I'm making the choices, I'm doing the pursuing, I'm getting the guy. It's never intended to be like that. And that's created issues and problems uh, in, um, uh, in uh, women's lives. So our climate would say that sexual intercourse offers the easiest, perhaps really intense means to create intimacy between adult men and women. So basically what they're saying is if you're in a relationship and you've been together for a certain amount of time, you know, the sex will make the relationship deepen. It will, it will give you a, a it's the next step. It's, you're, you should do this. It's the next step. Yeah, and it's going to create a deep intimacy between the two of you. This is primarily in, illustrated in the chick flicks because what happens is the girl meets guy, the guy and her, and one fine day make love, and then the next day they're just madly in love with each other and they can't part. This is a week-long ordeal, and we have gone through... A ridiculous amount of experience. What? One. There's also one called One Fine Day, sir. Yeah, One Fine Day. Yeah. In one day. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm talking about other other chick flicks too. Okay. I'm talking about other chick flicks too. You know. Uh, you know, the span of a week's time, pretty much, is what you get. You know. Boom. Here it goes. Uh, so it's kind of crazy, and it's definitely. Um, not uh, the reality of true love. You cannot grow that close together in that short of a time. Uh, movies often never or rarely show herpes. They often never or rarely show AIDS, the cost, the cost of some of these, the, the, these encounters. They never or rarely show STDs or the people that are affected psychologically by the experiences and the connections and the breakups and all this stuff. Even the television ads lighten the blow of the cost of this. Even the television ads lighten the blow. They, they get in there and they say, you know, you've got these ads about, uh, you know, there's one particular ad that's about herpes. And it's got this beautiful girl. And the, the, the gist of the ad is basically, uh, it, it says that, uh, you know, don't let anything come between you and intimacy. So in other words, yes, you've, you've done this thing and the consequences are this, uh, but don't worry about that because we got some medicine that will take care of it so you can keep doing that thing. You see what I'm saying? And we'll just put a little Band-Aid on it. That's what we're getting. And we're getting that. In. And there's a new one that's about um, 
uh, ovarian cancer, and uh, one of the things that you, you might, you might n note is that oftentimes ovarian cancer comes from an STD that, uh, is that, that, that young girls can get from sexual activity, sexual experience, and later on it reveals itself. So what they're saying is get inoculated so that you can keep having sex, and then, and then that way you won't have any risk of ovarian cancer. This is really the kind of stuff that they're really saying. Now, they never say so you can keep having sex, but I mean, what, what, is, the, what is the obvious point here? <laughs> Protect yourself because you're going to do this and you need this thing so that it doesn't happen because the only way it happens is sexual relationship. Um, this is the kind of stuff that we see and television uh, brings about this kind of thing. So really, are relationships just about sex? Is that what relationships are just about is sex? There's a whole lot more relationships than that. If sex is a biological function, then why even today is there this new rule in the hookup culture where the man, if he has enough hookups with a certain girl, has an obligation to call her and see how she's doing? Well, it's only biological. We're just having a romp in the sheets. We're just having some experience and feeling good about it, you know? But now I'm obligated to call her and see how she's doing. You see, they see themselves that there's some emotional tie into this stuff. That really, truly can't be separated. All right, let's take a break. Take about a three-minute break, and you go to the bathroom, get something to drink. Uh, it's not really, truly telling me, this sucks, dude. Don't give me this. Don't talk to me about it. Okay, you ready? So uh, we just come back from the, the break, and uh, now we're moving into number five. Point number five that I'm getting at. Roman numeral number five. Why is God uptight about sex? You know, I say that in jest because that's what people think. Why is God so uptight about sex? You know, what's, that, what's, the, what's the big deal? Well, let me just give you the short answer. He's not. God is not uptight about sex. God is not uptight about sex. If you read the Song of Songs in the original Hebrew, it makes him modest people blush. He doesn't have any problem with sex. He created it. It's a beautiful thing. He blessed it to be beautiful in Genesis. And so uh, if we look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, the man knowing a woman is a celebrated thing. Knowing is a, the terminology, remember we used that last time, knowing, being sexual with one another, truly knowing one another on a deep level. That's what knowing actually meant. Um, and so it's protected, we know, in different ways by the Ten Commandments. We're, we're not to commit adultery. And that is a protection of this sexuality God's given us. We're not to steal. Think about it, how that might tie into our sexuality. Do not steal and put that into terms of sexuality. Um, God uses the language of a spouse many times when he talks, so it's very much his thing, sex. God blessed it and called it good, so he's not uptight about it. That's a mis mis misunderstanding. Paul suggests that you know this guy that everybody thinks is the one that gives prohibitions about having sex and always staying single, Paul suggests that men don't own their bodies. He suggests that women don't own their bodies, and he suggests that they, that they be sexual with one another except for during a very short time of prayer and fasting. And so he's saying, you better be physical with your wife. You're supposed to. Husband, same thing, you know, whole deal, both sides. But the only time it's okay is for the short period of prayer and fasting so that you can focus on the Lord during that time. Uh, you can find this out if you want to look in there in First, First Corinthians. So play around, look in First Corinthians, and you'll find it. It'll hit you. You'll find it in there. 
Some passages in the Word do prohibit sex in a very strong way. And maybe that's where some of this stuff gets, get, people get that idea of God's uptight about sex. Is in fact, there are prohibitions uh, when it comes to sex in a strong way. And that is um, uh, when we de- deviate from God's original intent. Um, those who persist in these actions can't inherit the kingdom of God. These are things we see when we read in the Bible. It says this. Those who persist, key word, persist in these actions, make it their lifestyle, make it their way, and not in any way consider that what they're doing is wrong, those people cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Now, uh, also, Old and New Testament does strongly declare marriage alone is the only healthy and right way. So we'll get into where we find these kind of things. It comes in the terms fornication and immorality. And oftentimes when immorality is mentioned, if you look at the context, it's dealing with the same word fornication. Uh, This is used specifically and broadly in Scripture, depending on the context. And if you were to know the Greek word that is used, it is the word porneia, which obviously we get our word pornography from. Porneia. The definition of porneia is all forms of sexual abuses and deviations. All forms of sexual abuses and DVC. So it's totally just an all-encompassing term when you see that word fornication. Recognize what it's actually saying. And this is uh, true across the boards. It may not always mention a specific deviation when you see this word, because it, but we know that it means all forms when we look at it. Sometimes, if you look within the context, it is talking about a specific thing, if you carry on. Uh, what it's saying, a specific deviation. So all expressions of porneia are seen as a denial of the inner reality of sexual intimacy as God intended it in the creation. So God intended it one way, but any other t- all the other ways are considered fornication. And we know what, the way that God intended it in the way he set it up in Genesis. We saw it, right? Or we can see more as we look. This is a major contrast to today where everything is an external reality. Remember how I talked about that? They're only looking at external realities with these particular morality of caution statements. But now what really matters is the inner reality that we need to be thinking about more, what God intended. Well, it involves our physical bodies. The language of the New Testament tells us that it is much deeper than just the physical body, the, the act of knowing, the act of sex itself, the way that God intended it. Um, there isn't a, a casual sex mentioned in the myth- or, uh, or a mythology about hooking up or prostitution um, being seen as a good thing in the Bible. None of these things are, are, are condoned by God. So we can see that those would obviously be porneia or fornication. Uh, in sex, you cannot enter in with body alone. You and I talked about the holistic understanding in the, in the earlier um, classes that we've had. How sex was seen as a whole person and not a part of a person. You could not separate the body from the spirit when it came to sex. Porneia dehumanizes as if the person is not involved. What? Um, as if the personhood transcends our body. And what this is, is it's actually a Gnostic idea. It's a hedonistic idea or an idea that is purely uh, flesh, of flesh, that it doesn't matter what I do with my body because my body is my body and my spirit is my spirit. The two of them do not really truly combine together. So I'm not really responsible. This is the way I kind of am. I'm an animal. And obviously that's not the way that God sees it. 
we do have control and they are tied together. So uh, let me just ask you guys real quick right now, do you want to do some questions? Because I've got 15 tell and I wanted to set up some questions if you were interested in asking some. Um, or do you want to go ahead and, and finish where we are? Because I, I can start where we are the next time uh, because I am at a break where I'm on Roman numeral 6. So do you want to just finish or do you want to ask some questions that you have about some of the stuff we talked about or things that are on your mind? Because I haven't done a Q&A uh, very effectively yet. <laughs> so, uh, do we want to do a vote? Do you want to do a what? Anybody want to do Q&A? Raise your hands if you want to do Q&A. One, two, okay, three. I've got three out of six. Uh, do, do we have questions? Will we, do, can we ask some questions? Will you have some questions to ask so that we won't just do Q&A and nobody ask? Yeah, pretend, well, yeah, anything related to stuff, uh, sexuality, but if you can do it pertaining to this, this will be, this will be good. Let's go ahead and do the, some Q&A. So, uh, somebody throw it at me. Throw me a question. Uh, throw at me a question. Uh, I found like you can be forgiven for um, having sex before you're married. How can you be forgiven? Like, how, no, like how come you can be? Oh, how come you can't? Okay. Yeah. The question that's being asked is uh, how how can we how come we are able to be forgiven for for sex for sex before marriage? Um, if it's uh, such a big thing that God set it up um, uh, as, a, as a marriage covenant, and the, you know this is a thing that we shouldn't look at as a light deal, um, you know the, the 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 reality of that comes from the word grace and the fact that uh, God loves us so deeply that there's not any sin so great that He will not forgive. Um, I think what's important though is that we do not take lightly our sin, but that when we have failed and when we have uh, entered into um, a, a, a fornicating uh, experience that we go before the Lord with a broken heart and a contrite spirit because the Bible says that a broken heart and a contrite spirit he will not despise. It's one thing to say, God, I messed up again. Please forgive me and continue to live in that lifestyle and just kind of just do it because you want to feel good about yourself, but you're not really going to let God have that part of your heart. It's another thing to be truly broken before God and say, you know, I really blew it here. God, can I have a new beginning? And God will all, almost certainly say that because he says basically that when we were evil, when we were, we were enemies of God, he died for us. So at the worst place of our life, he died. He knows everything you're going to do for the rest of your life and has already forgiven that sin. So that's, that's one, the, the sovereignty of God. But honestly, it's the love and grace of God that enables us to be forgiven for uh, um, uh, sinning with premarital sex and and, and uh, having not been able to preserve that till marriage, and uh, you know a sin is a sin. But I think it's important also to understand this: the Bible says that sexual sin is a sin against one's own body. And so one we have to realize is there's a consequence to sexual sin that's greater. And so that's why we really need to be concerned about why about this. And you know why is it that the devil's really pushing this in our culture? Because he knows that. He knows that there's a deeper consequence to it than just simply just, uh, yeah, I did something, I made a mistake, and Lord, would you forgive my sin? It affects your body. It affects the body around you, and it deeply affects your relationships for the rest of your life if you're not. Um, well, it will. It will. So uh, is, that, is that helpful? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Awesome. All right. Another question. Is it Anthony? Yeah. Okay, Anthony.
Okay. So the question here is about we understand that we're told that sex before marriage is not a good thing. Our parents say this. In fact, most parents agree to this, even though we do have this part of the percentage, actually a large part of the percentage, that is not practicing what they preach. And even some of those, a smaller percentage of that 50%, might actually help their kids participate in sex before marriage and actually condone it, that they're creating a place for them to that degree. What would be the consequence or how would a parent be able to deal with saying no when they know their kid's just going to do it anyway? That's a great question. I think the important thing is we should never condone something that we know is wrong. We should always stand for it. We should have conviction for it and say, you know what I've said. I trust that you're going to make the right choices, but you understand we've talked about this, and I know it's your life and it's your responsibility, but let me tell you, if a parent at that time would share their mistakes and what has happened and what happened in the midst of that experience and say it's not what it's cracked up to be, guys, that would be something to show great love for their kids. I think sometimes parents want to protect themselves from their children and aren't willing to be open about their own struggles. And if a parent would do that and then also stand strong and say, you know, I understand, yes, you're right, you could go ahead and do this anyway. You could go ahead and disobey me because I'm not going to be there all the time. But I want to tell you, it's so important to think about this and really share heart-to-heart about why it's a dangerous thing to enter into this. And just teach your kids. They would teach their kids what is valuable, not don't have sex because God says don't have sex. See, that's not what this is about that I'm talking about. I'm trying to give you the points why that's there, why that prohibition exists in evidences that you can relate to. And I think that's important, too, that parents relate to their kids and how they explain that. But you're right. They may do it anyway, but we should never condone that by saying they're going to do it anyway. See, what's happening here is our culture has gotten that way. I read a book called Unprotected. And in that book, Unprotected, it's a psychologist, or actually it's a psychiatrist. And she says that what's happening is the school systems, we're talking about college school systems, are sitting there and their mindset is they're going to do this anyway, so what we're going to do is try to help them to heal when they do it knowing that it's going to create great pain, it's going to to put them sometimes in places where they're not going to recover from the depression and all this. We're just not able to do anything about it. So rather than teach to the fact that it's still something you should consider, we just say, let's just uh, abandon that period and let's go over here. Um, I think that's a bad way to go about it. We should continue to fight while the fight's still there. And the fight's always there until you're dead. So uh, does does that help, Anthony? Okay, great. Good questions. Good questions. So, like you said that uh, women, whenever they partake in it, they they keep a sense of attachment or they lose a little something. Like, is that not evident in guys, or is it just a female position? That is a great question, Ben. That is. Um, so the question is that you know. For those of you on tape, because y'all are like sitting there going, why are you asking me the question again? Because you, I heard it. But <laughs> for those of you on tape, the question is, what, um, um, uh, I lost my head. Oh, yeah. The women lose something uh, when it comes to sexual illness. They're giving something away. There's that concept that they feel that in themselves. What about the men? Are they losing something? Are they giving something away? Most certainly. 
Most certainly, but the women feel it more because of the way that they're made. See, we are different people. Men are different than women are. Women more emotionally are connected. I'm actually going to talk about that in the next section, about a particular chemical that has been discovered that's a part, it's a hormone that's released that women have that men do not, that creates a deeper bonded experience. The men, they can just have sex, walk away, and go have sex with somebody else if they want to, if they harden themselves. However, your first time, you're definitely giving something away, and it, the pain is felt in that experience for both men and for women. In fact, the book that uh, actually uh, an interview that I was uh, um, in my research that I was listening to and took great notes on uh, was about hooking up. And one of them was saying that the men feel just as unfulfilled as the women in the hooking up culture. But like I said, the women feel it much greater because there's something deeper, something spiritual in that, that the woman is desiring to be uh, is to be a nurturer, is to be in a healthy, safe relationship. See, sex leads to family, and a woman's body knows that. And certain things happen in them that begin to lead them towards those kind of connections. And when those connections get broken, they hurt. You know, that is a great question, and honestly, I haven't really looked into or studied that, that particular question about the idea of saying if someone is involved sexually in other ways other than intercourse between a man and a woman, whether there's uh, um, uh, arousal for, of your, your own self, stuff of that nature, masturbation, things of those li uh, along those lines, or let's just say oral sex, is there any difference in the way that a woman feels? Yes, they do um, uh, feel uh, something because, again, there's the exposure. And, and there's a psychological thing about the exposure of a woman uh, uh, that that really matters to them because I'm it's, this is this is me and I'm showing something that nobody else can see and I'm hoping that this isn't just some kind of thing for 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 kicks but I'm hoping that this will really build something. A woman always wants to build a relationship unless she's been hurt a lot and then she becomes deviant and begins to say it doesn't matter I'm giving myself away to as many people as I want to uh, because I don't care anymore. What's that? Becomes numb. She becomes numb. And the same thing with the, with, the, with the male. He would become numb over time. But there's always the guilt that's there in the beginning for both. And like I said, for the woman, the deviation really comes in being hurt so many times. She feels like, I'm not good for anything. I'm only good enough to be used, and I might as well get some kind of arousal. So I'm just going to go do what I want, however I want. And in the end, just get more and more broken. So, yeah, that's a good uh, follow-up question there. Any other questions? I've got time for one more question, according to uh, old great Chachi there. Yeah, uh, you know, that is uh, a great question uh, because um, I saw uh, a couple of different questions on the uh, papers that I that I that I got from people that result that had that question on it. So obviously, it's a question that is being asked. It is a struggle that people deal with. 
How does that relate? How does masturbation relate to sexual deviation? Is it sexual deviation? All these different kinds of things. I will tell you, if you do studies, you're going to get all kinds of things that you're going to discover from it. You're going to discover things from this is a natural thing. It's a way we discover our sexual organs. It's a way that we figure it all out and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, because I know that likely most everybody in this room has dealt with that and had a struggle in that area. This is something that we see is uh, definitely uh, an, an experimentation thing that we do when we're, when we're, when we're kids, likely, or, or we get into habits. And this is where the problem lies. Habitual masturbation is dangerous. The reason why is it's actually self-defacing. That's what it naturally is. There's a word in the Bible called onanism. It's from the sin of onan. And that is referring ultimately to masturbation. And basically that's this concept of saying it's about me and me being able to get what I'm supposed to get from the interaction between another person and myself. It's been a way that God has set it up. But instead I'm going to do it for myself. So I'm going to harm myself by being my by by pleasuring myself rather than doing it the way that God intended that mentally affects men because it makes them more more desire sex and sexual things and so obviously that's unhealthy uh, but then also it continues to deface that per, that man and he begins to become more and more shamed and he can he gets into a cycle and feels that he can't get out women have less a problem with it than men but then then again it is also a problem in women and um, uh, it would be the same concept. It is uh, truly, um, uh, it is a torture of oneself is the way that it is, it is seen. It's uh, a way of, uh, you know, you have cutting, which is the thing I talked about. It's a concept like that, you know. Some men in their mind think, I will never get this from anyone else, so I might as well do this, do this because this gives me pleasure. This gives me something that I can't get any other way. I do not encourage in any way it becoming something that, uh, you, that you do. Uh, because it's only going to create shame and uh, no one wants to be in shame. But what I don't want to do is to create a deep sense of defeat in a person because I recognize and realize that this is a difficult area for a lot of people. And so I want to bring hope to you by saying, you know, recognize that this is not good for your body. This is not good for you spiritually. But also I want to say God has grace and he will forgive but don't make it something where you've made an excuse to say, well, what he said was this is okay. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's, it's not okay, but I'm saying don't sit here and be condemned because it's a struggle in your life. Find a way to find the victory in the midst of it, um, but don't get into a place where it becomes this major focus of your life. I'm, I'm just trying to speak from experience. It's kind of hard for me to explain to you. What, 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 where I'm getting at. But sometimes there's guys that say, I want accountability. And they say, well, they want accountability for something like that. And all they do is get back and they say, I failed again. And the guy goes, oh, you failed again. Oh, you failed. And all they think about is failure. And it only creates a worse situation for them. And so I just want you to be sensitive about how, how you deal. I want to be sensitive about how I respond to you. Um, uh, but definitely, it, it's, it's not good. It's not good for you. It's not good for you. That's it. Okay.